Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to John 14. Good to be with you. Great to worship with you. By the way, if I forget to say this later, after the service, we will have some folks down here to pray with you. I know some of you have come in this morning. Maybe there's something you're carrying that's heavy, and we would love to be able to lift that up and be a part of that with you through prayer. And I'll also be down here. I'd love to say hello. My name is Rob, as Andrew mentioned. And if you're new to fellowship, we have two primary teachers. So visit two or three times so you can kind of get a feel for how we go. When I'm here, Lloyd Shadrach is at Brentwood Campus, and then we alternate back and forth between the two two campuses, two congregations, but one church. And um, we believe in live teaching as opposed to video teaching because we we want to be incarnational together. We, we're a body together. We're a body of Christ. So we're, we've gathered here to worship, and we're now going to get to hear God speak to us through his word. Two weeks ago, we dropped off our oldest daughter at Lee University. She's a freshman there. And, you know, as parents, many of you in the room, you've had that experience where you drop your child off at school. And I didn't quite know what to expect. I did know that I was probably going to cry at some point. You know, I'd kind of been given the warning from other dads that have gone through that and said, bring, bring, you know, just have your handkerchief ready or whatever. But I wasn't exactly sure how I'd, how I'd do it. The moment that I was dreading was saying goodbye, like the hug, the, the, the last hug. You know, that's the moment I was dreading. What I didn't expect is an hour and a half before that last hug was going to happen, uh, the school scheduled a prayer service, the sneaky little people. And in this prayer service, it was a prayer of dedication, and they had all the parents and the children there, and it, like everybody was crying. I mean, it was, it was an ambush. <laughs> so I was fine until about halfway through the service when, you know, we were bowerheads praying, and because there weren't enough seats um, for all my family to sit together, I was, the family was in front of me, and I was right behind them in a, in a seat behind. And I was, had my head down, and they were, the person on the stage was leading us through prayer. All of a sudden, I felt my daughter's hand, you know, the one that we're dropping off, come over, and she put her hand on my arm behind. Waterworks, you know? <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's all right. That was a sweet moment. I'll recover from that. The, I did not recover from that. <laughs> The whole rest of the service, um, you know, I was just, my, my girls were turning around looking at me because I was just sobbing. It was coming down. I was like, at some point I thought, I'm going to have to control this because I don't want to hide my emotion, but I also don't want to make my daughter feel like I'm going to fall apart the minute that we leave her. So I was like, how can I stop this? <laughs> Y'all, this, I'm not kidding. I said, I'm going to distract my mind by think, see if I can name the starting lineups for the Georgia Bulldog football team. <laughs> I did pretty well. I got stuck on the offensive lineman, but so literally I was like fighting this mental battle, like, okay, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. And then we got through the service. It was raining outside, which was convenient because I told the family, I was like, well, let me go get the truck and I'll pull the truck around so you don't have to walk in the rain. What I really wanted to do was get in my truck and just fall apart, you know? So that's what I did. I went and picked up the truck and I'm driving around and I'm just heaving. I'm like, <gasps> these big sobbing tears, ugly crying. So they get in the car, we, we drive to her dorm, and this is the moment, right, where we have to say goodbye to her, and we gather under this little overhang so we're not in the rain, and my wife's like, well, let, let's just take our time, take a moment, and I'm like, I can't take my time. <laughs> so I gave her a good hug, but it was a quick hug, locked eyes with her, you know, and ran back to the truck. Crying the whole way home. I mean, I, I'm not kidding, I couldn't talk for about two hours. Um, hour and a half into the trip, my wife turns and looks at me and she's seeing fresh tears on my cheeks. I'm wearing sunglasses, try to hide it, but the tears are giving me away. And she, real sweet, she's like, you're still crying. <laughs> and she says, do you want to talk about it? <laughs> uh, 
I was thinking about it all the, the week after. I knew I'd be emotional, but it was deeper than just saying goodbye to her. What was going on inside of my heart? And then I came to this passage that we're going to study, and I made a connection. And I'm not going to tell you quite yet what that connection was, but I want you all to know God has used this passage in my life this week, and I'm praying he's going to use it in yours. So in John chapter 14, Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples. Farewell for now. He's launching them off into the world. There's a few things he wants to say to them before he leaves. Now, if you were here last week, Monty Spurgeon did a really great job talking about the end of chapter 13. And, and at the end of chapter 13, Jesus drops two bombs on the disciples. The first thing that he says is, one of you is going to betray me. And they couldn't believe it. The second thing he says is, Peter, who was the leader, remember, before tonight is done, you're going to deny me three times. And the disciples had to have been reeling at this moment. So Jesus is going to spend chapter 14 putting them back together. He's going to spend chapter 14 helping them, giving them what he knows they're going to need to make it through because Jesus knows life's going to get really hard for these men. Jesus knows they're going to be scattered when he's arrested. Jesus knows that even after he's risen from the dead, he's going to ascend into heaven and the disciples will be persecuted. They're going to spend the rest of their lives being hunted down, tortured, killed in terrible ways and sawed in half and thrown to the animals. And Peter, tradition holds, is going to be crucified upside down. You know, these terrible things are going to happen. What does Jesus know that they're going to need to make it through? And that's what he's going to give them in chapter 14. And we'll put it on the screen. Here are the three things Jesus promises his followers to make it through their journey. A place, provision, and presence. The promise of a place You'll, you'll hear about that in just a minute. Provision for the journey that they're going to have to get to that place. And then his presence, the presence of God himself with them. And of course, these are the same three things that you and I need for our journeys. We need a place. We need provision. We need God's presence. And we're going to talk about that. So the, this message, uh, the, this text theme is how do you live in a troubled world in an untroubled way? How do you live in a troubled world in an untroubled way? Jesus is going to say, in this world, you we will have trouble. We need a place, we need his provision, and we need his presence. Let's start with place and look at John 14, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen as well. The first thing Jesus says to their troubled hearts is, let not your hearts be troubled. How in the world are their hearts not going to be troubled? He's just told them, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Things are going to get really bad, et cetera, et cetera. The answer is always going to be faith. The antidote to fear is always faith. It's always trust. So he says, believe in God, believe also in me. He's calling them to trust him. You can trust me, he's saying. I remember when we were teaching our daughters how to swim, and many of you will connect to this memory yourselves, there's always that moment where they have to just jump in, where they, they have to put their, their trust in, in you. And so they're sitting on the edge of the pool or they're standing on the edge of the pool and you're down in the pool and you have your arms like this and you're saying, just jump. And then if they're hesitant, the next words are, you can trust me. 
This is what Jesus is saying. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying, you can trust me. Now, trust in something just conceptual is a hard sell. We need something tangible. That's why we lift our arms up to the kid. You look, look, you see my arms? I'm gonna catch you. That's why we assure them with our voice. That's what Jesus is doing, but he's about to give them something else tangible that they can long for, they can hope for. Not just conceptual, tangible. A place. Look at verse two. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. You all, there is so much here. Now, the Hebrew conception of resurrection at that time was God's progressive revelation was not developed very much. Okay, there, there were many Jews who didn't even believe there was going to be a resurrection. You know, that's why the Sadducees, for example. But the, the idea of resurrection was sort of this idea of, yes, there's a promise that, that everything's gonna work out, that we're gonna be okay, that we're gonna be with him. But what Jesus is saying, he's taking that concept and he's making it tangible. And he's saying, there's a place there's a place for you. He's not talking about a concept, you all. He's talking about a physical location. He's saying, I'm gonna go there and get it ready for you. He's promising them something amazing, a place, and, and more than just a place, it's gonna be their place. A place for you. L listen to this. He's promising them a home. A home. Their true home. Now, the idea of home is one of the most powerful ideas in the human psyche. It's universal across all cultures. There's something about the concept of home that every person yearns for. It, it's, it's this longing for a place that fits us, a longing for a place where we know in our bones, this is where I belong. So this deep, concept or this yearning for home spills out into our art. If you think about it, how, how many songs, you know, think about country songs about my hometown, you know, it's like reminiscing back to that place. How about love songs? Like, I've found my home with you. I found my place with you. What about our movies and our stories? How many movies have you watched about someone who loses their way or gets lost from home and finds their way home? Even animals. We got movies about animals finding their way home. I mean, it just spills out into our art, this longing for home. Now, Home is more than just a place, isn't it? It's more than just a place, but it includes a place. You know, what is your mental concept of home? It's, it's a place where you can be yourself, where you can relax. It's, it's a comfortable chair, but it's a comfortable chair with, with the, the people around you who know you and, and, and a place where you feel safe, you feel known and you feel loved. It's a place where you don't have to pretend, you don't have to wear a mask, you, don't, you can just be exactly who you are, you don't have to play a role, and, and you can't separate out the, the, the relational parts of home from the physical parts of home. There's, there's a, a physical place, Jesus is saying, where you're gonna finally be able to rest, where you're gonna, be, you're gonna be surrounded by people who know you and love you, and most of all, God himself who knows you and loves you because it's the Father's house and you belong there. There's a place for you, and Jesus says, and I'm gonna be there too, and we're going to be together. Now, this is where Jesus spoke to me as I thought about my daughter. 
And I thought about this, these deep tears and grief that surprised me. What was going on inside of me? I've come, I've come to see it this way. When, when I left Ansley in Cleveland, Tennessee, I, I felt like I was leaving a part of myself in a way, a part of my heart. And, and, and I'd say it this way. It felt like my home was, was fragmenting. I, I left a part of my home in Cleveland, Tennessee, and the rest of it came back to Franklin. Do you, do you, do you see the expression is home is where the heart is? I've seen some of your social media posts over the last two weeks. Many of you have dropped kids off at college as well. And a common refrain I've seen is, we left a part of our heart in Knoxville or you know, Oxford or Chattanooga or wherever. We left a part of our heart. What you're saying is, there, there's a sense that this home that I've come to know and love, that, that she's a part or my, he's a part, that, that we're, we're not together. There, there's, there's a fragmentation of home. And listen, you all, this is a familiar ache to all of us because this is how life is. Life in this world is fragmented. We sense it. We know it. Our hearts are fragmented. Our, our homes are fragmented. Our homes are broken in many ways. Many ways. And so here's the irony. We all have this universal longing for home, but none of us actually gets to experience the fullness of home on this earth. That's the tension we live in. That's the irony we live in. Here's another way to think about it. There's no earthly home that fully satisfies your desire for home. There is no earthly home that fully satisfies your desire for home. It doesn't matter if you build the lake house, the beautiful view, or the mountain house with the window facing the, the, the peak, the summit. There is no earthly home that fully satisfies our desire for home. Think about all the time and the energy and the money and the resources we create trying to make this home where we can just say, this is it. There is no earthly home that fully satisfies our desire for home. Leave it to C.S. Lewis to, to, to articulate this so brilliantly. Listen to what he wrote about, about this similar idea. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is I was made for another world. You understand what he's saying? And you know, I, I didn't read the whole quote, but he starts by saying, look, we, we're hungry and there's food to satisfy that. We're lonely and there's companionship to satisfy that. We're thirsty and there's water to satisfy that. If I find in myself a desire which nothing can fully satisfy, the best explanation is that that, that desire was made for another world. And then he goes on to say, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I won't find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. This is how Jesus starts. He's saying, there's your true country. There's your true home. There's your true place. It's in the Father's house. And he's going to say, press on to the true country. Press on together to the true country. He's pointing them to this fulfillment of their deepest desire, their true home. Now, it's interesting, verse 4, how he ends this part of the conversation. And you know the way to where I'm going. He's just promised them a true home. As if he's saying, and you know the way there. Like, you, you know it. Deep down, you, you, know, you know true home. You know, it's like, 
You know the way that I'm going. Now, Thomas is going to speak for everybody. You know, thank goodness for Thomas because, you know, he, he, he says what all, all of us are thinking. Look what he says. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Just pause right there. We'll get to six in a minute. Verse six, which follows, by the way, is one of the most famous verses in John, but most people don't know the context of it. The context is Thomas asking on behalf of the disciples, no, asking on behalf of all human beings, how do we know the way home? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why would Jesus answer the question that way? How do we know the way? How do we know the way? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Why would he answer it like that? If you've been tracking with us through John's gospel, you know that that Jesus has said multiple things that start with I am. In fact, this is number six. There are seven I am statements in John's gospel. I am was from the Hebrew, the proper name of God. Jesus is proclaiming his deity and then explaining what it means for them that he is God in the flesh. Here are the seven I am statements in the book of John. I won't go back through all of them, but just as a way of reminder, in each of these, he's saying, I am God, I am, I am, I am who I am. And here's one thing that means for you right now. So he says, I am the bread of life. The morning after he fed the 5,000 and they came back and said, feed us again, we're hungry. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11, to two grieving sisters who have just lost their brother Lazarus. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, each time he's saying, I am your creator who has come down to be with you. And here's one thing that means that you need right now. With that in mind, to Thomas's question, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas says, how can we know the way home? How will we find it? If you're not with us, we don't even know where you're going. How will we find the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's he's doing more than showing them the way. He's proclaiming that he is in himself all the provision they will need. Now, let me illustrate this. Sometimes I like to use this little phrase. We'll talk about a verse. I'll be like, now, let me unpack that for you. Today, I'm going to literally unpack it for you because I brought a backpack. (laughs) Now, in in this backpack, I've got three items. But, But before I pull them out, I want you to know that if you were stranded, if you were lost in the woods somewhere, the wilderness somewhere, and you had to find your way home, you would need some things. I mean, I, maybe some of you are like survivor men or something out there. 
I, I could not survive without some things. And in this backpack, imagine this is the provision that is given to you. Jesus is saying, I am all you need to find your way home. And then he breaks it down into three things, doesn't he? The way, the truth, and the life. So let's, let's unpack this backpack and let's see what's inside. First thing you're absolutely gonna need is one of these, right? You're gonna need a map. You're gonna need a map. Now, what does a map do for you? A map help, helps you locate where you are, where you're going, and the path there. A map is something you have to keep close to you. You have to keep your eyes on the map. You have to know the way. And sometimes you might think, oh, it doesn't look like, Jesus, that you're leading me the right direction. Trust him. Trust him. The path may be circuitous, but he will get you there. He says, I am the way. I am the way. Keep your eyes on me. Now, he also says, I'm the truth. The truth in scripture, oftentimes, a metaphor for truth is light. When it gets dark, you're going to have to see where you're going. You're going to have to know. How do I know that there's nothing in those bushes right now that's going to jump out and get me? How do, I, how do I see this path? How do I follow along? How do I know Jesus is the light? He's the truth. That's the metaphor scripture often uses. He says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. What does he mean by that? He's the word made flesh. He's the truth that has come to reveal what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not true. There's one more thing for sure you're gonna need. You're gonna get a little bit hungry and you're gonna get a little bit thirsty. You're gonna need a meal. You're gonna need to eat. You're gonna need provision for, for your energy. You're gonna need hydration to keep you going as you're walking through, you think about these things. What, what, what's actually really going on here? Put the three things together. You have provision. You have all that you need. Jesus is giving the disciples exactly what they need for what lies ahead, their journey home. And he knows it's going to be hard. He knows they're going to need to hold on to truth. He knows they're going to need a, 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 the way. He knows they're going to need to eat of him to survive. They're going to need to drink of him. They're living water. He's saying, everything you need, I'm giving to you. And again, I want to remind you, it is not three things they need. It's actually one thing they need. And Jesus says, I am, I am. So he says, stay with me, keep me close, don't let me go. I want you to keep me with you, you see. Now, there's a problem because Jesus is going away. He says, I'm your provision, but he's about to go away. They're also gonna need his presence. Before we unpack the present, well, not literally unpack anymore, okay? Go back to the metaphor. Before we get to that, though, let me say one thing about this last verse, because clearly this last verse gets a lot of attention, as it should. No one comes, or this last sentence, rather, no one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you all that I need. It's in myself. I'm your provision, and there is no other provision. Modern society doesn't like that. What do you mean there is no other provision? What about all the other paths? You know, what about all the other people that are good and have done, said some wonderful things like Jesus has? Do you see what we're doing when we say that? We're putting Jesus in, in a group of, of people who have claimed to say, I have some truth. I know a way to peace or fulfillment or contentment. I've got some life that I can give. 
Jesus doesn't allow us to put him in a group of people. He's entirely unique. The incarnation only happened once. God in the flesh. One time. One time. So Jesus, when he says, I am, that's the, that's the point. He's like, Yahweh, I am God himself. I am, I am. He says it seven times. Of course, he goes on to do seven signs as well. What are the point of the signs? To back up his statements, to, to prove that he is who he says he is. He just raised Lazarus from the grave. Who else can do that? Jesus is saying, you can't put me alongside all the other gurus. You can't put me alongside all those who are going to start religions and all the other people who are claimed to have some truth. He's like, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. I am your provision. And there's only one provision. So the only way to get to God is through God. Jesus says, follow me when you feel lost. Look to me when you can't see the path. When you're weary and you're hungry, consume me. Let me be your bread and your water and I will get you home. And there's no other provision. Now, let's talk about this problem. Jesus says that there's a home for you. You're going to have a long journey to get there. But I've, I'm giving you all that you need. It's in me. I am all that you need for the journey home. But then he's also saying at the same time, I'm not going to be with you. That's the problem. The solution to the dilemma is what the rest of chapter 14 is about. The promise of the presence of Christ, but in a new way. In other words, he's about to promise them, I'm going to leave you, but my presence will not leave you. Solve that riddle. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You just said you're going. How are you not going? Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to leave you, but my presence will not leave you. Look at the 7 through 14. We'll finish, finish our text and then apply it to our lives. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let me just kind of stop there. This is so profound. I mean, these are good Hebrew boys that Jesus is, is hanging out with here. Uh, the, every morning they say the Shema, the Lord your God is one God. And Jesus is saying, You've been hanging out with God for three years. <laughs> you do know him. You have seen him. It's me. Philip said to him, Lord, you know, Philip doesn't get it yet. It's, I wouldn't have gotten it yet either. Lord, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Oh my goodness, you know, brain's being exploded. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Before we finish the text, let me say this. What's going on here is no less than Jesus expanding their minds to the mystery of the Trinity. And so far, he's only named the, the, the two, the first two of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. And he's saying there's a union there. There's a unity there that I want you to know. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whoa. Now look where he goes next. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. And here it is. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, he hasn't named the Spirit quite yet, but he's about to in next week's text. So this is precisely where this is going. But I want you to see this. And if you can grab, put your mind around this, it's, it's powerful. Jesus has just said there's this mysterious union between myself and the Father, such that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and vice versa. Then he says, you're going to be able to do my works and greater works if you believe in me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there is a place in this union for you as well. And the place for you where this is going is the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, is going to indwell you such that you're so united with me and with the Father that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So we hear that last sentence and we're like, that sounds like name it, claim it. It's like, I want a peaceful family in Jesus' name. I want a good marriage in Jesus' name. Aren't I doing it right? The context is unity, communion, that, that my desires, your desires would be so shaped and formed into union with Christ and union with the Father that the will of God would become my will. You see, it, this is profound. This is, he's stretching their minds. Think, think of it this way. To ask in Jesus' name means asking Jesus to move and act in ways that are in harmony and alignment with his own will. And the only way that will ever be possible for God himself somehow to come and indwell me and reshape me. And that's exactly where the text is going. Come back next week, right? The presence of the Spirit to dwell in you, to reshape you. Jesus is promising this, and we have it. And Lloyd's gonna, I know, do a wonderful job unpacking that next week. So let's, let's summarize where we are and apply this to our lives. Jesus knows the road is hard. In fact, in chapter 16, he's going to say, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not you might have trouble. You will have trouble. To navigate the journey, you've got to have three things. You, you, you must hold on to your true home. You, you, you must cling to the provision who is Jesus no more, no less, only Jesus. And you must have the presence of God indwelling in you, which happens by faith, the Holy Spirit living in you. How do you live in a troubled place in an untroubled way? Keep your heart on home. Cling to the provision that is given. Depend on the spirit, the presence of God. That's what this chapter is all about. I want to encourage you to apply this to your life. Where is it in your heart that you've gotten confused about where your true home is? 
Can you repent of that? Can you turn toward that? Can you say, no, no, no. Even the, the best this world has to offer, the best home I could possibly build with, if I had all the resources in the world and even if all my kids wanted to be with me, the best home we could have will not satisfy my true desire for home. And what about your provision? Are there times in your life that you say, ah, Jesus is fine, he's a part of my life, but I've got some other resources as well. He's ultimately all you have to find the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Are you clinging to him? Are you talking to him? Are you communing with him? And then finally, the presence of the Spirit. Oh my, there's so much we'll be talking about next week related to that. I wanna invite you to take out your communion elements. And again, this is another opportunity for this to get real for us, to get tangible for us. The table is open to all who believe in Christ, all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to be a part of this. We'll, we'll eat and drink in just a moment together. Don't do that just yet, but just go ahead and start uh, peeling back the foil in the, the, just to get the bread out, the top layer. You remember when I said before, it's like, Faith in a concept doesn't really do it for us. We, we, we need something tangible. You know, the promise of a, of a home, like an actual place, an actual place. Here's something tangible. Jesus left for us. You, know, you, you get to hold this in your hand this morning. You get to taste this. You, your body will receive tangible substance in this this morning and it points us to the true substance. Jesus, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he, he didn't mean I'm going straight from this supper with you to that place. He first had to go to the cross. He first had to go to the tomb. So Jesus said, I go prepare a place for you. He said, I'm, I'm going to the cross and then the tomb, and then the Father's house. Why did he have to go down before he went up? So that you and I wouldn't have to stay dead. So that you and I would just pass through death. Jesus passed through death so that you and I would also pass through death. And if we only pass through death, that means there's something on the other side of death. And it's not just squishy and conceptual. There's an actual place for us. Do you believe that? Your true home awaits. If you believe that this morning, eat this piece of bread. And take the cup in your hands and in the same way, we drink the bittersweet flavor of these grapes and we remember in this world, we will have trouble. And then the next sentence Jesus says is, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Drink with gladness. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. In just a, about two minutes, we're going to leave here. Typically, the last thing we do is we'd sing, right? We have a message and then we sing a song and the song is a response to the word of God that we heard and, and we work hard to, to choose songs that, that mesh with or, or support the message and the, the word of God that we've taught from. 
We're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to be responding, but we're going to be responding, uh, reading a text. And th- this is a, a prayer that has been written for us this morning. Brian Yakabaski, our worship leader, wrote this based on this morning's text and based on the message. I'll read the part of the leader. Let's all read together the part of the people. Pay attention to the words. These words are here for us to hold to, to cling to, that will help us throughout the week. It'll be on the screen. O God of Jacob, God of Moses, God of David, you have created us to dwell with you in a set-apart place. We hold in our souls a holy homesickness for the joy of your unmarred presence, known here on earth only at the dawn of creation. And in this divine longing to share once more a holy home with you, we have not been left without hope. Read with me. You have made a way through your son. His blood is reconciling all things to himself. Through him, our souls are now and forever will be reunited with their first love. There is no surer hope, no greater comfort than this man, Jesus. For in him, every deceitful lie that would dare to make us prodigals once more is silenced. No more will the whispers of pride and shame steal us away to wander in the miseries and despair of sin. He calls us to follow him, and even the sound of his voice carries the warmth and light of the radiant place he has gone to prepare for us. He is the word of truth made flesh. He is true north for all to follow into freedom, peace, and unbroken rest. In this world, we will have trouble. Our hearts know full well the heavy weight of burdens beyond our strength to bear. While our deceiver would seek for these fiery trials to break our resolve, the pain of their work only deepens our desire for a new heaven and earth for our heart to call home. In that sacred promised place, God will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There is everlasting life in his name. We set our hearts on the promise of his eternal presence. We set our hope on Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And amen. And have a good week.